Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about our friend uh, John Clemens, who is uh, recently from multiple myeloma, which is a painful disease. But he was our friend. I think anybody that knew him uh, would consider him a friend. Very friendly guy, had a real skill, but also a warmth. But uh, first, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Thanks, uh, Rich, for being here that we can honor John Clemens. As I and said. you knew him better than I did. Well, I met, I met him 30 years ago, but I didn't really see him that much. But he was on the radio for a Christian radio host talk show that I knew the, the guy pretty well at the time. But John Clemens never inserted himself into the first chair that much. He would do the PA and then he'd, he'd step aside. So even in that context, in that program, he was there. He stood at the ready but he understood his role and he, he didn't try to dominate. And he did the same thing when he became the PA announcer for the Frisco Rough Riders, the double-A team for the Texas Rangers. I live in East Plano, so going to Frisco for me is a lot easier than going to the ballpark in Arlington. I didn't know John when I first heard his voice, but he did a great job as the PA announcer and it fit right in with what they were doing with the Rough Riders. And then later I got to meet him because his collecting quest, which he never finished, and I even wonder when we've talked about it, whether he wanted to finish it was the 57 top set, which let's be honest, if you're going to have a set that you're going to collect your whole life, 57 tops is a pretty darn good choice. I think 57 tops is a terrific set and it's challenging without being impossible. I don't know that he had a want list as much as I think he maybe just knew the cards that he needed, but I think he needed 30 or 40 cards at one point to complete the set. And they weren't all the superstars. I think he had some of the stars, but I know he needed the Dodger slugger uh, card number 400, maybe? I think it's, yeah, 400 or 407. And 407 is Yankees. Is so the then Yankee, Dodgers is 400. Yeah, yeah. I had a Dodger Slugger card, and when I say it's a 10% card, it's a 10% card. I'm missing a piece. Okay, so it was not good enough for a guy that had a lifelong quest looking for that card. No. That means it was in poor condition, Rich. It was really, it a partial card? Yes, it was a partial. Okay. It was about three quarters of the card. Okay. Well, it was still... a part, I would have given it to him for probably 5% a book. How so, low can you go to get an authentic? Does it have to be at least 50% of the card? Because apparently there's a Wagner or some card now that is a partial card. That's happened before. So that... can it be 30% of a card and still be authentic? Yeah, if you I slab mean, it, if it was a valuable enough card? I've had, I actually had card, like 83 Donner's cards way back in the day come out of the pack at a half card. It's an authentic card, but because it was 83 Donner's, who cares? But yeah, you, it's an authentic card. If somebody cut it in half, it's still an authentic card. If you see the Wagner and it's correct and it's half okay. of the card... It's still a T206 Wagner. It's just a partial T206 Wagner. Did you ever sell your 57 tops? I still have that card. Somebody's welcome are to buy you, it. Are you pricing it too high? I must have. It's priced at all of $25 if somebody wants it retail. So it's probably going to sell for 10 or 15 You know, here's the thing. Surely there's an advantage to the buyer when they come up to a table and see a card that's been sitting there. And I'm thinking about John. Did he see that card for uh, some period of time and think maybe you're going to go down on your price or maybe it just wasn't acceptable. It wasn't acceptable. Clearly, he, you have a, an, an upper hand if you're a buyer of poor condition cards and you express interest in a card that's not even 100% no, he was uh, always, of the cardboard. He was always fun to deal with. And one of the great things with John is Optimus. He also was very nice. He would let me take promos for his radio station for my card shows. And he's always said, it's pretty impressive. You always get it done in one take. And he goes, a lot of people can't get it done in one take. And I said, well, it's not that hard. I've done a couple hundred radio interviews. It's not really hard to do things in one take. 
because you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. A lot of people can't do it in any number of takes. <laughs> you could do it your first take, second take, third take, but most people don't even try or they have a metal block or something. But I th he certainly had no fear of the microphone. But on the other hand, I don't think he loved the microphone to where he was caressing it and uh, and keeping my precious and not letting other people have airtime. I think he was uh, quick to defer to the host or to the action, the game at hand. And, yeah. and that's what you have to have. You have to have that ability. Speaking of radio, because when he passed, we discovered John Clemens was his first and middle name. Exactly. And not his last name. I'm shocked. So I was surprised. And yet in New York, when I grew up, Joe McCoy, a disc jockey in the late 60s and mid-70s, and then the CBS FM program director, the number one oldie station in the country, and the best oldie station I've ever heard, his real name is Joe McCoy with a last name. And there's a New York announcer by the name of Keith Allen Verde. When you heard Keith Allen Verde on the air, his name was Keith Allen. It's more common than you think to have names like that. Was that is he the brother of Mel Allen Verde? I don't think so. But that'd be cool. Mel Allen actually had a brother. Mel Allen's brother did uh, filled in his scorecard for him and all that. Mel sure. Mel used his brother on the Yankee broadcast. I have another friend that is a singer, and so he has a stage name. But he got so popular that it becomes a problem if you have two names. You have one name at home, and then his kids, for them to be his kids, had to decide whether they're going to have his at birth name or his uh, stage name. So he was like John Clements. He became known as the name where he was known in the marketplace. It was a good name, easier to remember and spell and all that. And that's his legacy. Another of his legacies is when you read his obit, you realize that despite battling that debilitating multiple myeloma, he did do quite a bit in the last year of his life to solidify his time with his family. And it was a good life to live. When I would see him at the shows, he'd always have his son or his or grandkids with him. I first met him at the shows at Kyle Robertson's old Frisco shows, conveniently located basically across the street from the old ballpark. It's so close that it was natural for him to stop at the card show and then go to work if they have a game that day. When I first knew him, I think he was you know, in, in, in good health. But then in this last uh, season of his life, five years ago or whatever, when those Frisco shows were going on, he, he was moving slower. And it makes me wonder, this multiple myeloma, whether he had early symptoms because he, he was not stiff, but it presents his arthritis a little bit because it's a, a bone marrow uh, problem, a blood cancer. In that sense, it's similar to leukemia, but probably more painful because your bones, I think, ache. So I think he had that. But then later this summer, early fall, he, he really got the diagnosis. I think it was at a stage where he had months to live. And it's interesting because I have a form of arthritis and I have to get infusions every eight weeks. So I might not know either if there's something going on. His normal may have been the early stages of multiple myeloma. Right. That's sad. That's sad. We've talked about this. But there was a local dealer. His name is Dave Maroney. He and his son, Justin, used to set up at the card shows. They set up at most of mine. And just in the beginning of COVID, when Kyle first started running his shows... Dave was in near the final throes of his battle with pancreatic cancer. I was actually upset that he was setting up knowing what he had. He assured me his doctor said it was okay. And in, in retrospect, I think part of the reason was that if he wasn't going to live that much longer, the doctors probably figured he should do something he loved, being behind the table, talking to the customers, being with his son, rather than just, let's say, sitting at home. If you've got a short time to live, do you want to go to the movies? I don't think so, uh, unless it's some movie that you've always wanted to see or something. But that's a few hours. In a 24-7 world, you ought to be spending a lot of time with the people that you love, that love you. And it sounds like he did that. And we've joked that uh, 
part of his enjoyment, I think, was going to the card show occasionally. I think it was. And he, he never may finished. or may not have bought stuff, but he... he uh, and he never finished his 57 set. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It seems unusual that somebody would be focused on the 57 top set and be 76 years old at that point and not be finished with it when I, I think he had the, the means to be able to do that, but chose not to. In other words, the quest was not finished. Clearly, if the expression of glass half empty, glass half full applied to anybody, be him. He delighted in talking about the cards he didn't have. Yeah. Which is the opposite of what most, maybe younger people or anybody is thinking, let me show you the cards I have. But he was saying, hey, I've got almost all of a 57 top set, but I don't have these cards. I'm looking for them. Not to your chagrin, but you had one of the cards he needed, but it wasn't a whole card. An authentic card, but not a whole card. And I think that's... So he had standards. I'm sure he had other cards that met his standards, but that was... Oh, he bought quite a bit from me, so no, it was never a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know that I have standards. If I really needed a card, of course, that's a card, number 400 in the 57 top set, the Dodger uh, sluggers, the four guys kneeling, I guess. Uh, that would be something you would expect to see at a large show. Roger Neufeld's there. He probably has one. I, I think you and I were both of the mindset. If you went to the National and you saw a card that you're never otherwise going to see in any condition, then even if it's got a corner clipped, or a bullet hole, we probably would have picked that up for the purpose of cataloging. If we needed for catalog, as a matter of fact, if we needed it for cataloging, since a lot of times we were using black and white photos in the books, it was just as good if it had a bullet hole in it. And so instead of $400, it's $40, let's say. <laughs> hey, $40? Hey, okay, I can write that in the budget. $400? I better get paid for it. You'd have to talk to the boss. Oh, wait a minute. The boss was there, too. So... <laughs> Uh, we work well together on that. But anyway, so uh, John Clements, I don't know that he had a boss. If you're going to the show with your son, then that's mentorship even. Going around, he's showing him that he's enjoying talking to people, picking up a few cards. That's the balance of going to a card show. I don't have that balance every time of the people and the cards. You're there for the cards. You're there for the people. You're there for the people. You're there for the cards. And he enjoyed life. Would you rather have 76 quality years? or a larger quantity. And I think his last year was not, but he's missed. He's well, he was well-loved in his workplace, in his family. That's that's a pretty good testament to a good human being. And I think that's something nice to be said. That, to me, is sufficient in itself. And this is not to pick on anybody, but I don't think he was sarcastic at all. No. Now, I have some friends that are sarcastic, and they're brilliant sometimes in their sarcasm, but it's nice to have a friend that's not sarcastic, that just is very affirmative, very positive. And I think that's the kind of way John led his life, that he was consistent in that way. Some announcers, I don't know if they're born with a certain voice, because sometimes I think people can cultivate a voice. They go in the shower and they deepen their voice or something. But I think that was just his voice. And it was warm, it was professional, but it wasn't domineering. I've done enough radio interviews. There's a podcast I listen to almost every morning. And one of the things was he did radio for 10 years. And you can tell. And you can tell. And I still enjoy listening to him because... Even though he'll he'll quote the people as they you know talk to him in the chat and he talks about the chat, he's the only one speaking, but he's quoting people in the chat. But yeah. you can tell he's talked about it. But you can tell he's a radio guy. I told him I want his air checks because I collect radio air checks. There's no real value in it, but I collect listening to them, and it's fun because it's a lot of the unscoped radio air checks of the '60s, '70s, and '80s are historical documents unto themselves. You realize that when he was in the PA for, for the Frisco Rough Riders, he's got a steady stream of not just the Ranger prospects, but other teams' prospects coming through. And when I did the episode with him more than a year ago now, 
about media etiquette. If you're a media pro, you have access to these players, access to this stuff. Where's the line of taking advantage of it? I had difficulty carrying on that conversation with him because I don't think he felt any kind of tension. He wasn't even considering that he would do anything that would be inappropriate for his job. That He, he loved when he was a PA announcer. He was an intermediary for selling, even though he was a collector. He just didn't feel that tension or that pressure. And I think that's refreshing. I, I think there's clubhouse people that can really take advantage of a situation and they get fired after they've picked it clean. Tennis statistics for the U.S. Tennis Open 1984 through 1990. In fact, just before I came to work for you, the last thing I did was the U.S. Tennis Open statistics. They ended on, let's say, the Sunday after Labor Day and then eight days after that I was at work. One of the things they call us the first year we did that is you're part of the media. You don't ask for autographs. You don't do this. You don't do that. Fine, I do whatever. This is a job. It's fun. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Of course, as I tell people, in retrospect, I should have gotten one autograph each year because the first year the corporate sponsor, a spokesperson was Arthur Ashe. And then the next few years it was Bobby Riggs. And yes, probably a real autograph on a tennis ball that I would have kept would have been nice. But it was part of your job not to ask. And guess what? You don't ask. Do you think you could have gotten one free pass with Arthur Ashe? Yes. And you wouldn't have been fired. And I would number one, fired. you're exceptional, but he's a cultural icon. Bobby Riggs is too, for different reasons. For a different reason. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but in retrospect, yes, but I wanted to honor, yeah, even though yeah, I was in yeah. my 20s at the yeah, time, yeah. I wanted to but honor. But you had a moral sense of. And John had the same moral thing. Hey, this is my job. My job is not to pick up merchandise. And that's one of the lessons of this guy that's, that's now gone at, at what I regard now. Certainly an early age, because he was 76, not that much older than me. So I'm trying to take good care of myself, but I'm sure he did too. Stuff just happens, and some of these diseases are just very insidious. Our condolences to his uh, widow and family and uh, those who knew him. He brightened up the room when he came in. And I'll miss seeing him at the shows, that's exactly, for sure. Exactly. And maybe you'll find somebody else to sell your partial <laughs> Dodger Slugger card to. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, thanks everybody. Jim. Thanks, John Clemens. We'll be back again tomorrow. The man in the house of cards The man in the house of cards